you know, our ultimate goal is to get people into these garments and have them just love them, love, love the hell out of them. And when you're done, recycle them so we can do it again. Welcome to the Responsibly Different Podcast, sharing stories and insights from people harnessing purchasing power as a force for good. On today's episode, I am joined by Stacy Flynn, the founder and CEO of Evernew. Evernew is a textile innovations company creating a circular ecosystem. A certified B Corp since 2018, Evernew is already having a huge impact. They have been recognized by Time Magazine as one of the top inventions of 2022. Stacy was listed as one of Worth's Worthy 100 in 2021, and Forbes has shared that Evernew's recycled waste fiber could outperform 90% of existing textiles. In our conversation, Stacy shares a peek behind the curtain to the struggles that innovative entrepreneurs face and how she has navigated the pursuit of her personal mission. To kick us off, Stacy, and to help our listeners kind of understand who you are and a little bit of your background, I'm so curious, what is your personal goal and mission in life? <laughs> That's a big question. Uh, and, you know, I, my big goal, my mission in life is uh, to, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but it's to alleviate the conditions that cause human suffering. And I wasn't, didn't always have this as a mission. It's something that I kind of uh, uh, grew into. Uh, but really, that is that is my mission. That's awesome. And so, how did you find this path? Like, what what kind of inspired inspired this? You know, I'm a textile and apparel specialist by trade, and for the first I don't know, fifteen, eighteen years of my career, I was very self focused, self motivated, and did really well for myself. On this, I took a trip to China in 2010. And I saw what my industry was doing to the environment and how people were living. And that trip really was a turning point for me. Uh, you know, it was a, 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 a wake up call for me that it isn't, I'm not the only one um, to consider in this equation. And I shifted my focus from being solely focused on myself, my career, my life to focusing on how do we how do i actually participate in a bigger group and a bigger uh, undertaking to turn some some of these really big issues in the world around that's so cool and so it sounds like that trip to china was really powerful for you uh, i'm curious what did you learn while you were there and and kind of lead us through what's kind of grown out of that yeah sure you know i on this trip, you know, I'd been making apparel for quite a while, and I'd been all over the world many times before 2010, and it never really hit me until this trip um, how our industry is uh, treating the environment and how people are living as a result of that treatment. I had developed a lot of pride for the scale and scope and work that I had done in the past, 
And that didn't feel like pride anymore. It felt Mm. like I didn't ask the right questions. I wasn't focused on the right things. I was focused on my business, my performance, my company. And I wasn't really taking into consideration all of the collateral damage that came with it. So on that trip, I got to, if, if, I got to kind of lie in the bed I made for myself and I was there for a month. Mm. So I really got, uh, got a, uh, a nice dose of reality on that trip and just realized like, this isn't, this can't be how the story ends. This, I, 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 I cannot accept this to be the end of the story. So what were some of the things that you found? Like, so for listeners that maybe aren't as familiar with, the textile industry or the clothing, fast fashion, all of that stuff. What are some of the things that maybe some of those kind of dirty secrets that folks would maybe be horrified to hear about? Yeah, I, you know, it's, we hear a lot about fast fashion and uh, why it's so bad and it, it does create a lot of waste, but what happens on, on the front end, you know, the, the, two things that were particularly shocking to me were the air were, were the air quality. My colleague and I got out of the car at this one location. We were standing right next to each other. The air was so thick with pollution, we couldn't see each other. Wow. That's how thick it was. We got up to our meeting room, midway through the room, to the ceiling, inside the building. Their corporate team was working under a cloud. And, you know, it just, I, I was just like, God, like, how can people live like this? And you just realize, like, there is no way when it comes to air. Like, you know, there's, there's no keep, you know, the, there's, there is no away. And same thing with the water, the water quality, you know, we take garbage pickup as an example for granted. Um, a lot of the garbage ends up in the waste streams and the ditches and the water, you know, is black. No life can live in that water. And you just realize like without air and water, um, basic human survival can't exist. Basic survival can't exist. So, you know, there's, there's, this is a, this is a one way path going the wrong way. So it was a real wake-up call for me to really stop and think about, okay, I'm one person. What can one person really do? You know, and I was like, well, you know, Stace, if you're one person and you can do all of what you've done up to this point, imagine what you could do if you actually tried. That's so cool. So that, it sounds like, is kind of the birth of Evernew. <laughs> it's, it was the birth of me going back to graduate school. I never intended to create a business. I went back to graduate school to, I went to get a master's in sustainable systems. And, you know, I went to undergrad at the Fashion Institute in New York City. And FIT teaches you two things. They teach you how to speak a language of the industry and they help you leverage connections. What you learn in class is completely up to you, but those are the two things you walk away with if you really work work it. You learn how to speak the language and you learn how to leverage contacts. So I wanted to do the same thing in the area of sustainability. Like, how do I learn to speak this language? Because in 2010, 
you know, we were starting to talk about sustainability in the apparel industry, but it really wasn't uh, well understood, defined. So I was like, well, if I go learn the language of sustainability from people who have been, you know, creating the writing the books, I'll learn how to speak the language and then I can translate that language to my industry and also meet contacts of people who have you know, come way before me and maybe use some of their work as an example of how we might be able to turn our industry around. But in that graduate program, second year, you have to pick a specialization, a track. And the tracks were uh, local living economies, intrapreneuring or entrepreneuring. And I was in the intrapreneuring program uh, because people paid me to do what I did. And I fully intended to work for a large brand retailer or textile mill. And while I was in the entrepreneuring program, uh, we were building a business and we actually took one of my t-shirts from a solid to a liquid and back to a solid with a syringe. So I was prototyping. So they said, you're not an entrepreneur, you're an entrepreneur. And I went kicking and screaming to entrepreneurial ship because, I mean, you have to go get funding. You have to build a business. Like I wasn't, I was, didn't feel I was qualified for that. So it was, uh, it was, I, I went very reluctantly to entrepreneuring and that's when we started building Evernew out. And, you know, I, I kind of said, all right, if this is what you want and this is, where you're going, you just got to bite the bullet and get it done. Oh, my goodness. That's so inspiring. What, how did you I'm, I'm thinking for folks that are listening that are like, oh, my gosh, I'm kind of there, too. Like, I have this thing that I want to do, but that's terrifying. Okay, now what's your idea? But you, you heard it here from here. Stacey never said start a business. Like, that's official. So, I mean, do you, I mean, in all seriousness, though, I mean, it's it seems like you're doing really well. I mean, what, um, like, what, you know, what advice I, do you have for folks? So, if you want to test yourself, test your, uh, you know, if you really want to test yourself, start a business because mm. there is adversity at every single corner. Like it may look good on the outside, but it is damn hard work. Not, I mean, not just for me, but for everybody in, in the company. It's, it's like, uh, you know, trying to push a boulder up a hill and the boulder, fl you know, rolls down. Shit. Okay. Now, how are we going to do this again? You got to get it up a little higher. This time rolls back downhill. It just, it's a nonstop process of trying to figure things out. Um, especially when you're in the realm of doing things that haven't been done before. And, you know, we are trying to make some changes foundationally in our business to not repeat some of the systemic issues that business creates in the world. So this is, really challenging from a business perspective, from a technological perspective, from a sales process perspective. It's it's riddled with challenges simply because it hasn't been done before. That's amazing. And so now that you're you've started Evernew, you're 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 right you've got you're advancing the ball down the field. Yeah. Um how did you work through that? Like how did you, you know, obviously it's hard just one foot in front of the other. How did you get Evernew going? Yeah, you know the the 
the thing that I had to learn how to do was, you know, I, I think two things that uh, that hold me back and that have held me back in the past are fear. Mm. Um, fear is a big one. Fear is huge, um, as well as uh, lack of trust in myself. You know, and once I get over the, all right, we're just going for it. We're going to just look it right in the eyes and see it for what it is and start walking. And, you know, we'll know if we need to move forward. But it it is it is really you've got to trust in yourself and almost trust that the path will form as you're walking it. Because if you're a logical, linear thinker and, and you want everything mapped out and safe and uh, uh, predictable, entrepreneurship is not your game. You know, this is like kind of walking through, you know, a hurricane to try to get to, you know, some form of, of logic. Uh, so it's, it is really challenging. But I find that if I just you know, uh, address the fear, we can usually keep moving. And once you're on the other side, it feels so good and you're ready for the next challenge. That's the really big thing that I've learned is every time I get through a challenge, I up level to see what else we can do. That's great. Um, so speaking of Evernew, what is the, what is the actual mission of the company? So Evernew's mission, Evernew was, uh, I should back up on, on Evernew. Evernew was Christo, my business partner, and I started a company called Future Resource Collective. And Future Resource Collective was essentially born as a industry think tank. Like, how do we solve some wider industry issues? When we started brainstorming about where we wanted to, when we ran the system analysis on where we wanted to start, what we found was... 90% of the market in the apparel industry is based on two fibers, cotton and polyester. That is mm. a lot of product, you know, on the back of a platform that has two options. So we knew that the fiber portfolio had to be expanded and in a way that was, oh, that you could scale. The other thing we knew was that there was a colossal amount of textile waste. I mean, in the United States alone, we've got 17 million tons of textile waste per year accumulating worldwide. We've got about 50 million tons of textile waste per year. So that's going into landfills in the United States because we, we don't incinerate here uh, that much. So that we knew that if there was a way to take the waste and turn it into new fiber, we could solve two really big problems, the waste issue, as well as giving more diversity on the fiber platform level. So that was the premise of the idea at FRC through Future Resource Collective. And then we started, we filed a provisional patent under FRC, and then we started to realize, okay, this thing is its own entity. Let's create another company. So we transferred the IP over to Evernew and we created Evernew as its own own entity. And then we started to raise capital from investors in, in 2015 to start getting that off the ground. But Evernew's specific mission is to reduce the negative environmental impact of the textile ecosystem 
so that humanity and the planet can thrive in harmony. That's our stated mission. Our stated vision is to spark an enlightened age of textiles where both producers and consumers reimagine their relationship with nature. That's cool. And so how does that manifest? What does that look like? So it manifests by uh, our first technology. We're taking cotton textile waste and we turn it into what looks like a paper pulp. And that paper pulp is being dissolved into what's called lyocell fiber. So we're taking 100% textile waste and then we can convert it into what's called recycled lyocell. And that recycled lyocell fiber looks and feels a lot more like cotton than it does anything else because you're using cotton as, an in, as a material input. Uh, but you have to call it lyocell because it goes through a chemical process. So there are two really cool things about using this solvent system. Uh, it, first of all, we had to work with a partner to redesign the solvent system because all of the man-made cellulosics that exists out there are designed for wood pulp. So if you use a different um, input, you've got to change the system slightly. So we work to do that. But the resulting fiber is very high performing, um, meaning that it's stronger than petroleum-based polymers like polyester or nylon. And the product, the fiber is recyclable to the same or better quality coming back in as a material input. So that to us was like, once we finalized the development on that, we were thrilled. And we just had our first 10,000 pound batch distributed to the market. So people are just now getting their hands on it and people are going crazy for it, which is so fun to watch. That is really cool. So tell me about how, how that works. So the input, is it all post-consumer textiles? Like, where does it come from? I'm thinking if I have shirts that are maybe not in good enough quality to donate to, you know, a secondhand shop, do I send them your way or, or how, how does that yeah. work? Well, okay. So um, there are four, let me answer the question for you first, because when you, um, right now, consumers in the United States are throwing away about 80% of their textiles directly into the garbage can because they don't think there's value for their old t-shirts, uh, you know, like uh, sheets, towels, like people just don't donate things like that because you don't think anybody's going to want that. So what we've got to try to do is figure out how we get get people to start donating those things to the Goodwill Salvation Army, wherever you donate. Because wherever you're donating, those folks try to resell whatever they can. What they can't resell, they bail up and they send to what are called garment recyclers or textile recyclers. And they open up these bales and sort, separate, and grade for secondary markets like Evernew to come and buy those materials to be converted into new textiles. So we should, you know, public service announcement is we should be donating all of our textiles uh, so that we can start getting these systems in place. But the second part of your your question is, is, is it post-consumer? 
And in our labs, we can break down post-consumer. We can break down everything in our labs. But as we start, every time we scale our industrial system, we start with the easiest, cleanest feedstock. So we're using uh, cut waste from a cut and sew operation that's cotton, or we're using pre-consumer waste, you know, ideally white or undyed. And then as you industrialize, you can add on more complexity to take on medium colors and dark colors. And then the most complex is post-consumer because consumers, everybody wears their clothes differently. Mm. Deodorant, as one example, is a really, once deodorant gets into that amorphous region of the cotton, you have to like get the deodorant, the aluminum out. So it has to be treated differently than you might treat a pre-consumer item. So it just really depends on what it's, that's why it's critical to grade your feedstock, pre-consumer, post-consumer, light, medium, dark. And that's how we regrade it. That's so cool. And so now if I'm a manufacturer listening and I make some clothing, something, I don't know, hats, I don't know, I'm making stuff up here, right? Can I purchase your product to make my stuff or how does that work? Yeah. So we are prototyping right now with a bunch of folks to get them into the fiber to test it. And we are building the first garment recycling facility in the U.S. right now, our first garment recycling facility. It's under, we've got long lead time equipment sitting in the parking lot. We're ready to break the roof and start uh, installing it. So what we're working on right now is finalizing the financing and getting the uh, market to make the commitment to purchase the product so that we can get that financing lined up. So that's why the sampling is so critical right now. Um, So we're sampling with people who can help us get those orders in place so that we can get this this show on the road. That's awesome. And so I'm thinking if in case those last two questions didn't cover it, how can folks support your work? So, you know, I always say there are three ways, you know, when it comes to sustainable apparel, it sounds crazy, but we need to buy, we need to wear the things we buy. Mm. A lot of people buy things, they sit in your closet, they might still have tags on them. That should be minimized as much as possible. The most sustainable clothing is the clothing we wear. So, you know, from there, we, you know, another way to support is to start donating your clothes and all of your textiles, start, start donating. And then, uh, Third is as New Cycle becomes commercially available and technologies like New Cycle uh, start buying them and trying them and see what you see what you like, see what you don't like. We are, you know, textile specialists by trade, but you know, our ultimate goal is to get people into these garments and have them just love them, love love the hell out of them. And when you're done, recycle them so we can do it again. I'm curious, what has been one of your most memorable products to work on and that you've seen go to market? So I worked, uh, I was the first hire into Target's raw materials division when Target brought their design and development in-house in the early 2000s. 
and I worked on their Ultimate Chino program. And I was one of a few people on a cross-functional team, but that was one of the coolest projects because we were um, able to really, you know, I went out and I bought the Chino, I bought Chinos from men's, women's, and kids and lined them all up. And honestly, no one was doing it well um, on the market. And I was like, all right, let's start this process. So we started looking at the, you know, how we could improve the way the fabric felt. We started to look at how we could, um, look at different finishes and we started talking different finishing suppliers on how we could create performance attributes. And by the time the product got to market, it fit well, it felt great. It was priced right. And it performed well. It blew out of the stores. So that was really the biggest program that I've worked on um, in my career. And that, 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 was a, that was a big one. Now, if you fast forward to today, what I would love to do is make sure that it was recyclable. So we could take it all back and recycle it. So my career has evolved since then. But that was a really exciting, uh, that was a really exciting program because it was so massive. That's really cool. And and speaking of uh, Target, on your website, you all mention your featured brand partners, which many of them are, I think, household names that folks would definitely be familiar with, like Adidas, Levi's, Target, and Stell McCartney. Can you share with us how these companies are leading global brands in seeking sustainable alternatives? I know some of those brands might not be what we think of top of mind when thinking about sustainability. So just curious how you navigate those waters. Great question. I would say that we're at a point in history where every brand and retailer has to take sustainability seriously. So even the ones that are in the public eye as being, you just won't be able to compete in the future once we get to a point where consumers start demanding that their products be lower impact and recyclable. Like this is, this is where the world is going. So we talk a lot about the circular economy, all of our brand partners, and we're working with over 40 brand partners in the pipeline. Everybody seems that the commonality amongst them all is they are all aligned to reducing impact and doing what they need to do to reduce impact. Their board of directors are requiring it. Their customers are requiring it. So we're starting to really see a shift in it's not a it's not a nice to have it's a it's a requirement at this point. So that's really incredible that the world has matured to this point because when I started this company when I started researching back in 2010 2011 no one was talking about uh recyclability of apparel at even at the highest levels. So in you know just you know you know, 12 years, we've come a long way. So I'm excited to see what the next 10 years brings, because I actually think we're going to start demonstrating that this, these technologies are possible and that consumers prefer them over things that are not recyclable. Absolutely. And I think that that's really cool to point out that some of these brands that folks might not traditionally think of as sustainable are taking very seriously those sustainable steps and that it is a journey that, you know, 
folks as individuals, but also businesses are all on. Um, so that's really, really cool. I, I'm curious, what would you say from your experience are some of the kind of larger flaws about the fashion industry as it relates to our environmental crisis and, and what's kind of, you know, giving you hope and inspiration for the future? Yeah. So I, my biggest beef with uh, the apparel industry is, is we are not moving fast enough. Like mm-hmm. the industry is so big. Um, you have to kiss the ring of so many different decision makers to get decisions made within a corporation. You almost need a master's degree to navigate these political landscapes. It sucks. And, you know, I would love to see the CEOs just say, here's the mandate, do it. And then have their teams come find us and say, all right, here's the... Here are the deals we're willing to put together to get this done. How can you go faster? That's what I want to see from, and that's what we need to see from the industry. So what what gives me hope is we're starting to get there. I think there are enough, uh, there's enough executive leadership buy-in at this point to know that this is where we need to go. Um, you know, I also can, you know, as as I talk, I can appreciate their uh, their position because it is really hard to maintain. We're, we're at a crossroads. We're kind of like in, we're straddling the way the world is and we know we've got to get to where the way the world needs to be, but it's, it takes time. And, you know, there are so many considerations that need to go into that. I, I hope that our technologies can be helpful at getting these brands and retailers to, you know, make decisions faster to show demonstrated traction faster and ultimately improve their business performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we are also, um, uh, a, uh, social purpose corp in, in Washington state. So, uh, social purpose corp and B corp are, important. They're important to me personally, because we really do, um, you know, part of the problem we have uh, in this world is, is that CEOs are required to maximize shareholder profit, which let's face it, you can do damage to people and you can do damage to the environment if all you're thinking about is profit. So I think the B Corp, um, as well as the SPC filing, allow us to basically say, look, we're not giving ourselves a pass on profitability, but we are not going to damage people or the environment to do it. And I think that that's what raises the bar. And that's why B Corps are so cool, because they're saying, uh, you know, we are going to hit our profitability targets and we are also going to do it in a way where people's lives are better as a result. And we are uh, minimizing our damage to the environment and hopefully um, getting ourselves into a regenerative state with the environment as well. And I'm curious, how did you hear about B Corp certification? Grad school when I was in, uh, when I went and got my um, MBA in sustainable systems, um, uh, we had a presentation uh, from B Corps, and was that was that was a consideration when I started Evernew. That's amazing. And so over this whole kind of journey, 
uh, thinking about sustainability and you mentioned the word regeneration. I'm so curious, what are some, I mean, obviously the work that you're doing is literally regenerative in its own right, right? If we can give a second life to things, that's amazing. Or use all of the material that's, you know, being used in production of different facilities and whatnot. What are you kind of dreaming with an eye to the future? Like what are kind of some of your big ideas or big solutions that you think can really help advance us all as a collective species forward? Oh God, that, that's a big question. That's a big uh, question for sure. I, you know, you know, I read all the books that come out and, you know, when, uh, you know, Paul Hawkins says investing in women and girls is the number one thing we can do to advance, uh, um, to advance our efforts around climate change. I, I absolutely believe that. And I also believe systemically education. We need to invest in education. We've been divesting in education in the United States. And, you know, there's a direct erosion to democracy when you divest in education. Mm. So, you know, there are some really big issues that we've got. And I mean, you can look, just go down the list, healthcare huge healthcare issues. So there I'm focusing on one very small piece of what I hope will we're going to be moving into an era where you know we're really looking at how do we systemically solve some of these big issues um in the world and hopefully do it in the first 50 years of the century. So the 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 back half of the century you know, it's a little bit easier for the next generations to take it and sustain themselves and grow it. That would be, and I think that that's what everybody's vision is to kind of get ourselves back into alignment with nature. Once you're in alignment with nature and you're in a, a in a reciprocity model where you give at the same rate you take, you can sustain forever in that model. But right now we're taking a lot more than we're giving. And that's what we're all trying to change in our in our own way. I love that you uh, brought up reciprocity. I literally just finished reading Braiding Sweetgrass. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that book, but her, her a whole theme was like all about reciprocity. And it definitely shifted the way I think about things for sure. Yeah. What's on the horizon for Evernew? Well, we're getting this facility set up and then um, behind it, we've got, you know, this hyperscale plan. Like, how do we take all the all the garment waste that exists and break it down? So Evernew has um, several technologies in our pipeline so we can break down all kinds of polymers. Um, So we're doing a lot of work on on that. But, you know, the ultimate vision is all clothing, you know, that is produced can be broken down in the future. So, so that's what we're working toward. That's amazing. And what about, I'm, I'm so curious, uh, speaking of kind of like the future and, and B Corps and kind of all of the things we've covered, are there partnerships that have either helped you kind of within the B Corp community or that, you know, could be helpful in the future? You know, par- partnerships across the board are absolutely critical because we are just one company. We're kind of a drop in the ocean in this equation. We've we've got to have strong partnerships. Um, you know, I've had people reach out to me because we're a B Corp for business, and I've had uh, I've reached out to other people because they're B Corps uh, as a business. So there's almost a um, 
kind of a uh, like a established uh, standard when you're a B Corp because it's not easy to be a B Corp. It's not easy to maintain your B Corp status. But if you're committed, you know, it's <laughs> it, you know that you're you're talking to someone that at least has a, a standard in place that is mm-hmm. aligned. So it, it does make a difference to me. What advice do you have for for listeners that are looking to make a difference, leveraging business as a force for good? Oh, man, I would say the one piece of advice I give everyone is is don't forget that people can't see what you see. And I Mm. underestimated that for a long time. And, you know, everybody has their own path. And if you're if you're willing to walk toward that fearful state toward getting your business or your idea off the ground, you are on your life path and the world becomes a better place if we've got more people stepping up and taking a chance on themselves. So that would be my bit of advice. It is scary as hell. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy. I won't sugarcoat it, but it's also really cool when people step up and follow their own path because, you know, it, it, you never know who you might inspire. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We hope you all have a happy Thanksgiving. We are so grateful for you for tuning in and all of the work that you're doing out in the world. It is so important. Keep going. Enjoy the day today. If you are planning on attending Champions Retreat next week, definitely drop Brittany and I a note at content at deergocollective.com. We would love to hear from you and meet up at Champions Retreat next week. Till next time, be responsibly different and have a safe and happy holiday. This episode was produced by yours truly, Ben Marine. Music was composed and performed by Kevin Oates. This podcast is brought to you by our parent company, Dirigo Collective. To learn more about Dirigo Collective, visit dirigocollective.com. To explore other episodes and resources from Responsibly Different, visit responsiblydifferent.com.